0: It is my pleasure to meditate on the Word of God with you. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be wrapping up chapter 3 today as we continue our series in the Proverbs. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. Well, on vacation, Leslie and I uh, stayed in a campground in my dad's motorhome. This was down near Richmond, and one day I was sitting outside under the awning, relaxing, and And I watched this man arrive and attempt to back a very large trailer into the campsite right next to us. And as I watched, I became very concerned because it was pretty clear that he did not see this big old metal campfire ring, you know, that you see in campgrounds. And uh, he was backing his trailer up so his trailer tires would have run right over it. And of course, that would have given him a flat tire or even worse. And so I jumped to my feet to get the the driver's attention, to to get him to stop. And right as I jumped to my feet, so did another guy at another campsite. He was watching this whole thing, and he jumped up too. And uh, and so we were able to get his attention, and we were able to prevent this mild disaster from happening, one that surely would have put a damper on his long weekend uh, with his family. And so... Uh, a few minutes later, my fellow rescuer and I were congratulating each other for a job well done. And, uh, and he said, yeah, you know what? Uh, this is the campground code. We always help each other out. And you know what? He's exactly right. And that's what Leslie and I love so much about camping is that you're surrounded by people uh, who are always looking out for you and always ready to help. And it's just a really good experience. But you know, this, this campground code, it's kind of sad. It's not so prevalent in our world today. It kind of used to be, but not so much anymore. In fact, we live in a very self-centered culture that more and more uh, lacks goodwill toward other people. I know people who would have just watched the guy run over the campfire ring and enjoyed the entertainment of watching him get a flat tire and maybe tear up his trailer. But this, this kind of goodwill that, that uh, is so lacking today is a kind of, of, of protective benevolence toward our neighbors, a, a compassion and a, a reaching out uh, to other people. And, and at the heart of it all, it's based on the words of Christ that we've come to know is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But these days, people think that they've actually improved on the words of Christ. And this is actually how they will state it, that that there's a a new so-called platinum rule that now can replace the golden rule because the platinum rule is so much better. And the platinum rule goes like this, treat others the way they want to be treated. Now on the face of it, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds really noble at first until you start to realize what people mean by it. So while the golden rule is truly other-centered, do unto others, and while the golden rule assumes the dignity of every person and that that dignity comes from God himself, the platinum rule, when you really begin to think about it, is about as self-centered as it can get. And the reason for that is that if you're a proponent of the platinum rule, you define your own dignity. You define how other people are supposed to treat you, and therefore you demand that others treat you the way you want to be treated. Do you see how self-centered that is? So very quickly, if we take it to its logical conclusion, if you want to treat others the way they want to be treated, you might find yourself giving alcohol to an alcoholic. You might be enabling uh, an abusive husband. Or, as we've seen in the news lately, you might be allowing your child as young as six or eight years old to go get gender conversion therapy. And if you had a boy on the day he was born, he becomes a girl, that sort of thing. But the words of Christ assume the dignity of every single human being, not based on who we think we are, but on who we actually are. And who are we? We're image bearers of the living God because he made us. That's who we are. And so the dignity that we ought to give to others is not based on how a person defines themselves or creates themselves. Our dignity is based on the fact that God himself gives us our dignity since he made us in his image. And so that fact becomes the foundation for how we treat uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ as God's people. It becomes uh, uh, how uh, the standard for for how we as believers treat our unbelieving friends and even total strangers. So as followers of Christ, our ultimate desire is to give each other and the world a taste of who God is by being people of goodwill. That's the the reason for goodwill. And so what that means is that, yes, we jump up to help not only in a campground, but also in our neighborhood. It means that we demonstrate grace and mercy uh, in, in our fellowship right here at church. And it also means that we treat those outside the faith who don't know Christ, no matter who they are, with the kindness and grace of our Lord. And so we've seen the foundation for all of this in our study of Proverbs so far, as we've been learning how to walk in the way of wisdom. The root of wisdom, of course, is a reverent awe of God, and from that comes a desire to walk in the ways of God. And in chapter uh, 3, we've seen the steps uh, to heeding the call of wisdom. We should trust God. That's the first big step. Uh, And we should trust God, realizing that all of his ways are good for us, and that, by the way, is a sign of the goodwill of God toward us, that everything that he requires and expects of us is good for us. That's the goodwill of God. And so from that trust in God comes this tremendous blessing for us of abiding peace. And so now as we wrap up chapter 3 of Proverbs, we're going to see that since God has shown us goodwill, the natural outcome of our lives ought to be that we show goodwill toward others too. And that's the lesson of our passage today. Wisdom calls us to be people of goodwill who treat others with God's goodness. And so let's take a look at these these last verses of chapter 3. Let's receive the wisdom of God, as he calls us, to be people of goodwill. In verses 27 through 30, we see three examples of goodwill, that we should do good whenever we can in a timely way and live peaceably with our neighbors. And then in verses 31 through 35, we see a choice, God or evil, Not just simply good or evil, but God or evil, and our choice determines whether we receive blessing or curse from God and whether we are men and women of goodwill or men and women of evil. And so allow me to read uh, our verses today, uh, beginning in chapter uh, 3 and in, in, uh, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. But the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding of his word. Let's take a look at these uh, uh, first few verses, verses 27 through 30, as we take a look at goodwill and we should do good whenever we can in a timely way and live peaceably with our neighbors. Now, first, we, we need to remind ourselves of the goodwill of God toward us, because this is the foundation for everything. God has not withheld good from us. All through history, he has shown grace toward his people, even though they've deserved the wrath of God, and we're in the same boat, we deserve his wrath too. But ultimately, Christ, isn't he the perfect expression of goodwill, of God's goodwill toward us? Uh, Paul lays it out this way in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so since it was within God's power to do good for us, out of his goodness, he did it. And he did it through his son, our Lord. And this is why God calls us to show goodwill toward others because it's a reflection of who he is. And so when there's good to be done, we should do it. It's as simple as that. And so here's the first principle of goodwill in verses 20, in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Now, let's be very clear. In the Bible, a good is always understood in the context of God's goodness, not how we might define good. The uh, word in Hebrew has the sense of what's pleasing and, and what produces gladness. So even as we understand that God can use all things for his glory, amen, as God's people, we can never think that sin is good. We can never think that that sin is good, whether we're embracing the sin of others or participating in it ourselves. We can never think that way. If it's sin, it's not good, period. And it's not good, because it doesn't please God or make him glad. It's not about whether something pleases us. It's about whether it pleases God. He's the one who is the standard for holiness and for what is good. And so whatever is good reflects the character and nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If God won't participate in it, it's not good. If God won't do it, it's not good. If God has done it, it's good. He is the standard of goodness that we follow. Psalm 28, 25, 8 lays it out like this. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. You see, he's the one who has set the standard and who instructs us. And so these do not statements in verses 27 and 28 are not just telling us what not to do, but also what to do do good when it's in your power right now when you have the ability and the resources. And so that means, doesn't it, that we ought to be looking for opportunities to do good with our eyes wide open and our hearts full of compassion. We should be the kind of people who care about people because after all, this is who Jesus was when he walked the earth, isn't it? Matthew nine thirty six. when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But he did something out of his compassion. He did good for the people. And what good did Christ do? Well, he preached, and he he taught them, and he healed people of their diseases. He didn't ignore either their physical needs or their spiritual needs. He noticed them. He noticed the, the people who were, who were pushed aside and oppressed, the unnoticeable, the unloved. He noticed people, he saw them, and he paid attention to what they needed. And that's what we should do too, because we are followers of Christ. You know, a, a person of goodwill like this, a person who is doing good, doing God's good, is a, is a real blessing. Since my dad died, one of my dad's neighbors has been cutting his grass, cutting my dad's grass uh, ever, ever since then. And this is a tremendous blessing for us. And Bill, the, the neighbor, is a believer. And so I know he's doing this out of his love for the Lord. And, and he saw the need. He realized his own availability and ability, even though it was kind of inconvenient for him because it takes him a lot of time to do it. Dad has a lot of grass to cut. And so he's doing this great good for us, saving us time and allowing Leslie and me to concentrate on other things that we need to to concentrate on. This is exactly the same kind of attitude that, that we ought to have as followers of Christ. We ought to be planning our finances around the idea of doing good. We ought to be arranging our lives uh, just like Bill is doing so that we've got time for intentional ministry to people, whether they're believers or unbelievers. We need to order our lives after the pattern of Christ, of compassion and of reaching out to people, of always making room for people in our lives. We ought to always be ready and willing in the course of our days to offer a compassionate hand or a a kind word, a gentle response, a listening ear. We should be vigilant for opportunities to do good. Are you that kind of person? Is that who you are? Are you a person of goodwill? Well, that's the first element of goodwill. Do good whenever you can. And verse 28 shows us the second and related principle of goodwill, and that is that we should never put off doing good. Verse 28 says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. And so whatever it is, something your neighbor needs or a debt you owe or whatever it is, if you've got it, don't put it off. Uh, Don't put your neighbor off. Don't delay. I had a neighbor once who kept putting me off. He wasn't a believer, and so it doesn't surprise me, but uh, he had offered to help me build our garage, and he knew a lot of things uh, that I didn't know how to do. He was an expert in these things, and so I'd ask him, and he offered to help, and, but months and months went by. He kept putting me off and putting me off, even though he'd promised to help. At first, he'd say things like, well, maybe next week I'll have time, maybe, maybe next Saturday. And then it was next month, and then it was just silence. He wouldn't even respond to me anymore. But you see, as followers of Christ, we're called to be different. In fact, our desire to do good in a timely way is something that James ties directly to the authenticity of our faith. Listen to this in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. If a brother or sister is clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body." What good is that?" And then James says famously in verse 17, "So also by it, so faith, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead." Very rarely do we hear that verse in a little bit of a broader context. You see, saying that we care isn't enough. You know, if, if you were in the hospital and you were very sick and your nurse uh, just stood around and talked about caring for you but never actually did any of the things that you needed, she would prove to be a lousy nurse, wouldn't she? Well, by the same token, we've got to show that we care not just by our words by what we, but by what we actually do. That's how we show our love for other people. That's how we show goodwill. And so... Doing good in a timely manner is actually, according to James, evidence of a person who's truly saved, who is truly following Christ. And so that's the second principle of goodwill. And the third uh, characteristic or principle of goodwill is in verses 29 and 30. And this principle is that we should live peaceably with our neighbors, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Well, the average Hebrew reading these words would associate them with legal matters, with taking somebody to court. But the meaning also can extend to the general idea of just simply living quietly and peacefully with our neighbors without causing trouble. Now, to understand these verses, we can also sort of turn them around and and state them in the positive. Plan good for your neighbor. Live peaceably with him. There's a a very funny old tale that I doubt is true, but but there are many things that that have happened that are like it, that there's a lot of truth in it uh, that illustrates this very well. There is this elderly woman. And she called the police on her neighbors because they were doing all sorts of horribly upsetting things you know, next door to her. These are things that really troubled her, and, and uh, they were terrible, terrible things. And, and so she calls the police and invites him into her living room and says, I can see it all right out through my living room window. And the officer goes over to the window, and all he can see is a real tall uh, fence and big bushes and, and so on. He can barely even see that there's a house next door. And so he says, well, I, I don't know how in the world you're, you're seeing all of this. And the woman says, well, if you take this stepladder and you, you uh, set it on a big stack of books and you climb to the very top rung and you look out of the top right pane and lean way over, you can see them. And it's horrible, terrible thing. Here's a lady who is working very hard to find and cause trouble, right? We all know people like this, not just our our next door neighbor, but people who are always finding fault, fault and trying to control us. When Leslie and I lived in a townhouse, we had neighbors like that. So we all know people who are like that. But here's a question for you. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people? If you are, the Holy Spirit through Solomon is reminding us here that as God's people, don't be that lady, right? Don't be that lady. Live peaceably with your neighbors. Plan good for your neighbors, not evil. And so find ways to bless them if you can, if it's in your power to do so. And if we pray that the Holy Spirit would show us how, we'll be surprised how much ability God gives us to show goodwill even to difficult people. And also, as verse 30 commands, we ought not to take people to court for trivial reasons. We ought not to contend with a man for no reason. Now this isn't a universal uh, ban against going to court. There are times when that's necessary. But at the very same time, we shouldn't abuse the system to our own advantage. We we have developed in our culture a lawsuit uh, uh, happiness. I mean, we 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 love to, to sue people in our culture, and it costs us all very dear, dearly as people abuse the system uh, for their own gain. And so it's why you you uh, get out your. Your box of frozen pizza, and you read the warning that it will be extremely hot when you take it out of the oven. It's why uh, on your, your, uh, your label on a bottle of sleeping pills, it says, may cause drowsiness. I mean, that's very helpful, isn't it? But you know what? It's also why we are required, when we rent Evil Walker Park for Stories in the Park, we are required to have an insurance policy of a million dollars. A million dollars. But brothers and sisters, this this isn't an opportunity for us to go into a diatribe against frivolous lawsuits. This is a passage about who you and I are supposed to be. Yes, there are people out there who abuse the system, but this is a question about us. This is a call for us to walk in the way of wisdom, to walk in God's ways by living peaceably with our neighbors, whoever they might be. We ought not to be looking for ways to profit off of our neighbors at their expense or just simply to cause trouble for them because we don't like them or something. So in other words, don't be that lady. Don't be that contentious neighbor. Don't be the one who sues because the hot pizza burned your finger. But who are we to be instead? Who is it we're supposed to be? Well, this verse is telling us to do something that's very, very hard. We are called to be people who try to work out things face-to-face when there's a problem. Not to rub somebody's nose in the problem, but because it gives us the opportunity to demonstrate the grace and the peace and the power and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you been wronged? Of course you have. There's nobody in this room that hasn't been wronged in some way. But our culture teaches us to shame people who hurt us. Isn't that true? We've all seen that, especially online. This has become the habit online. But brothers and sisters, here's the ethic of a follower of Christ. Here's the ethic of a a believer. Paul lays it out in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil Think about that the next time that you are tempted to try to shame someone publicly, especially online, because that's that's where we tend to do it most. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave it, leave it to the wrath of God if somebody is hurt. You. Paul goes on in verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, You'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good, good. You see, there it is. And so back to verse 30 of our passage. How much more ought you and I to treat with respect and dignity those who've done us no harm? if you and I cannot uh, treat a person who has done us no harm with kindness, then there's absolutely no way in the world that we're going to be able to answer God's call to show kindness to our enemies or to love them as Christ has taught us to do. And so there are the three principles of goodwill. We should do good whenever we can. We should do good right now, not tomorrow. We should live peaceably with our neighbors. That's goodwill. And so next we turn to the choice that all of us have, God or evil. Our choice determines whether we receive blessing or curse from God, and also whether we are men and women of goodwill or of evil. Beginning in verse 31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his way, This is the opposite of goodwill, this man of violence. In the Hebrew context, a man of violence conjures up the idea of a criminal, somebody who has no respect for laws or authority or other people. And a person like this resorts to violent acts sometimes to get what he wants. But the violence isn't just physical violence, but any violation of another person's God-given dignity, no matter who they are no matter who they are. Paul, in the, in the passage that John read a few minutes ago, says that we should do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith, but not exclusively to those in the household of faith. We are to do good to everyone. And so we ought to do all that we can not to violate another person's God-given dignity, whether they're gay or straight whether they are transgender or binary, whether they are cool or uncool, black or white, male or female, rich or poor, Democrat or Republican. Have I pretty much covered all the bases there? You see what I'm getting at here? You see what the word is getting at? Any mistreatment of another human being in God's eyes is an assault upon God himself because every human being is an image bearer of God. Now, let's clarify something extremely important. Listen closely. Refusing to agree with a sinful lifestyle is not denying that person's God-given dignity. But, brothers and sisters, if we refuse to love that person, if we refuse to demonstrate to them the same grace and mercy that God has demonstrated to us through his son, then we are arrogantly and pridefully denying that person's God-given dignity and we are actually attacking God. God's word is convicting and radical. And God's word tells us that that's when we become men of violence, that there is always a human cost and an eternal cost when goodwill is missing. And the reason for that is because it strips people of their God-given dignity as human beings. And so with verse 31, we shift from specific examples of ethical behavior to the choice that we have before us in how we treat people and what our attitude is going to be toward them. We can choose God or we can choose evil. There are consequences to both choices. On the one hand, the devious person in verse 32 is an abomination to the Lord, while on the other hand, an upright person is in God's confidence. In other words, a liar is detestable to God, but an honest and forthright and on-the-level friend of people is a friend of God's. In verse 33, the very home of the wicked is cursed by the Lord himself, while the home of the righteous is blessed by God. All we gotta do is think of the difference between the homes of uh, somebody like Jeffrey Epstein, the human trafficker, and the Reverend Billy Graham. Which home do you suppose was more at peace? One man uses and abuses people and ends up dead in his prison cell, leaving a legacy of destroyed lives. The other loves and enriches people with the gospel until he's almost 100 years old and he leaves a legacy of saved souls. What kind of legacy do you want to have? In verse 34, God gives scorners a taste of their own medicine. These are people who not only scorn other people, but scorn him. But at the same time, he gives favor or grace to the humble, to people who know that God is above them and know their place in the world as they serve the Lord and know that they are equal with other people. A scornful person is proud, and he unleashes his arrogance on his fellow image bearers of God, not to mention God but a humble person understands who he is and he also treats people with goodwill. And then in verse 35 of our passage, it is the wise, those who live according to their reverent fear of the Lord. These are the ones who inherit honor and reputation and status. And there's even even a sense here of the fact that, that the wise get to partake in the glory of God. But on the other hand, The fool, the one who has chosen the evil path, gets the opposite of honor. He gets disgrace and desolation and destruction as he is abandoned by God. Now the idea of all of this is is that wisdom, godly behavior, and devotion to God, these three things, wisdom, godly behavior, and devotion to God, all these three things are bound up together. You cannot be wise without devotion to God and his ways. You cannot be devoted to God and not do as he says. You cannot do what he says without wisdom. These three things are bound up together. And so the essence of who we become when wisdom and godly behavior and devotion to God are evident in us is that we become people of goodwill. This is the natural outcome of who we are when when wisdom and godly behavior and devotion to God are, are bound up together and evident in us. And we become people who are always looking for ways to do good to others because it's simply who we are. The essence of an evil person, the essence of evil, is that we mistreat people to get what we want, isn't it? Think about it. And what we want, ultimately, the Bible says, is that we want to worship ourselves. Our wants drive us to, to do anything to fulfill that worship of ourselves, even if it means hurting other people. I think pornography is a classic example of this, of self-worship at any cost. If you're participating in it, it means that you are willing to partake of it even though it may devastate your spouse and your family, even though you might lose your job. You're willing to exploit the, the very real human beings on the screen for your desires. But let's drive the point home a little further in case that's not your issue. Is your security and comfort in your bank account rather than in Christ? Well, then you're probably willing to neglect other people to protect your comfort, to protect your security and your money. Is achievement your idol? Then you're probably willing to step on others to climb up the ladder. You see, no matter what the issue is, if we have an idol, there's always a human cost when we choose evil and neglect to do good. And this is exactly why verse 31 portrays a man of violence. The man of violence worships himself. You see, evil is always about me. It's always about benefiting me, about making me happy, even if it costs other people. But as followers of Christ, as followers of Christ, we worship God and not ourselves. And that means something. It means we're different people. It means that we turn away from the evil of self-worship and we use our time and our money and our talents and, in fact, our very lives to worship God instead. And the, the fruit of that is that we become people of goodwill. We can't help it if we truly love and worship God. And so wisdom calls us to be people of goodwill who treat others with God's goodness and to give each other and the world a taste of who he is. We become people of goodwill who, who do live by the campground code all of the time, doing good whenever we can in a timely way and by living peaceably with our neighbors. When we choose God and not evil, we receive his blessing and not his curse. But brothers and sisters, as we contemplate this passage in Proverbs as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, in light of the the cross, we begin to realize the kind of difficult and even inconvenient goodwill that you and I are called to do. So let's meditate on just a few passages in the New Testament with this idea of goodwill in mind 1 Corinthians 13:7 says love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things isn't this the pinnacle of goodwill toward others that we would that we would invest ourselves in other people this is our willingness to take the risk to to pour out ourselves for the good of others even when it's difficult to love them. Likewise, take a look at Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is about self-sacrifice, isn't it? This is about pouring your whole self out for the sake of your wife. Pouring yourself out in the very same way that Christ gave himself up for his bride, the church. Husbands, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Are you willing to be a man of extreme and radical goodwill to your wife? Speaking of giving yourself, Jesus says in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Here again, total sacrifice for the good of others. And this is whether we're married or single, a child or an old person. It doesn't matter who we are. If we follow Christ, this is our calling. But all this requires something, doesn't it? It requires humility, which we've talked about before. Paul lays it out in Philippians chapter two, in verses three and four. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, goodwill really does mean that we need to be humble people who bow before the Lord and stand in equality, if not raising other people, accounting them as more important than ourselves. Goodwill requires self-sacrifice. Jesus puts it like this in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. There it is again, just as I have loved you, the example of Christ, the one who performed the supreme act of goodwill. And so Here's the self-sacrifice of goodwill toward others again. But how do we live out that goodwill? How do we love like that? How do we live it out? How do we do it? It all boils down to that golden rule, doesn't it? And that's why this is so powerful and why it is supreme over anything that any human being could ever come up with. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The assumption here is that you are, you are a godly person who wants godly things for yourself. And because of that, then you know how to treat other people. We cannot take this command out of the context of the gospel and secularize it like so many people want to do. This is about the fact that if you're a Christian, it means that you want life and well-being for those around you just as you want it for self you want it yourself and you know what you've found it you found life you found meaning for your life and well-being in the person and work of Jesus Christ and so you want Christ for other people and so that causes you to treat them in the same way you would desire them to treat you, by living the gospel for them. And so you treat people with dignity and respect and godly love, not with a cheap kind of grace, but with the bloody, expensive grace of the cross. And you love people because you love God and because God has made us all. You, you want what is best for other people, the same thing that is best for you, and that is the whole gospel repentance of sins, the forgiveness of the cross, the joy of salvation, the hope of eternal life. And in the meantime, as we look ahead to eternal life, we heed God's call to live in a way that brings glory to him because there's nothing else that could please us more. And so our goodwill toward others, brothers and sisters, comes from the fact that we have been saved and this is a salvation that is the supreme act of goodwill in the universe on which our every act of kindness and love and grace should be based amen let's pray holy and gracious God we thank you for your salvation we thank you Lord for your supreme act of goodwill toward us Father, may we look to that example. May we look to that reality in our own lives and learn how to treat other people and to to treat them in a way that shows them what a great and good God we have. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.